Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Sister Speak with Dr. Emma Church. Um, I am here with an amazing woman today that I am so thrilled to introduce you all to and, and have her share her story with us. Uh, I met Krista after I had put out on Facebook this call for women who wanted to share their stories, and she was actually the first person that I met, and I was so enthralled and taken in with her and her story and her loving heart, and her entrepreneurial spirit, and just this warrior inside of her. We've been chatting a little bit before starting to record today, and you all are in for a treat because her voice, <laughs> she's going to kill me, is like a velvet blanket. Um, uh, she does not agree, but just a little content warning before we get started. There will be um, talk about suicide and mental illness today, so if that's something you're particularly sensitive to, um, be mindful of that. You may want to skip this episode or, or listen to someone um, or listen with someone who's uh, supportive for you. Um, but we're going to be hearing about overcoming trauma and lots of things and just really excited to have Krista here. So welcome to Sister Speak. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful that you are willing to come in and share your naked story, this, this kind of um, uncovering of the shame and pains that we hold on to. Um, Krista, can you start a little bit with telling us about um, who you are in the here and now, your entrepreneurial endeavors, so that, that we can get a sense of what it is that you're investing in in our world right now? Right now, I own a creative brand collection. It is called Krista, My Sister Co. <laughs> It's, it's, it's self-titled, mm. <laughs> um, and it's just, when I was thinking of how to brand my business, because it stretches across the entertainment arts industry, um, I just wanted to give it the wings to grow and become what it will become. I didn't want to give it limitations, uh, and I definitely wanted to build the brand around myself, my passions, my creativity, um, my desire to take risk and grow and to just become, um, just allow myself to just trust my gut, follow my intuition, uh, try new things, and then if I'm brave enough... <laughs> 
build a business around those things. Well, it, it turns out you are plenty brave enough. <laughs> I love that, that, that kind of owning. And as women, I think we are really discouraged from self-promotion of any kind. And so I think it, it is this risk-taking thing to put yourself out there as your business brand. Um, and when I first started my practice, it was my name, um, PLLC. And when I got divorced, I changed my name back to my maiden name. So now I have a different name. But I just remember how self-conscious I felt about that. And, you know, as I began to be successful, I, I had this kind of inner apologetic feeling about that. And so to watch you, um, Krista, my sister, uh, with the wings and like soaring yourself, I just want to champion that because it is it's beautiful. And, you know, your your business is a product of all of the life experiences that you've gone through. And we're going to be talking about those today. But it's really awesome. And everybody needs to be following um, Krista on all the social media stuff. We'll post about that too. Um, but so let's start. And I've been starting um, the other podcast episodes with this kind of origin story. You know, what are your roots and and where is the beginning of your story? I know that um, this is an important part of who you are. So take us back uh, to little Krista in the beginning. Well, um, I guess the beginning would start with my parents. My father is, uh, well, he retired from the military. He served 30, 31 years. I think he retired as a command sergeant major. Uh, I can't tell you how many states he's lived in. Uh, we started in Germany, um, and I've had the pleasure of visiting him in Hawaii. He was stationed there for four years, so... He's, he's traveled a lot. He's done a lot. He's seen a lot. So I'm, I'm lucky to have his wisdom, his experience, his uh, discipline from the Army. He's a interesting character, my father. <laughs> Quite mysterious. I think the Army kind of molded him that way. Um, and he's not very over-emotional, kind of stoic, strong, silent type, if you will. But uh, when you need him, he comes through. Army strong, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, he's there. He, he definitely provides. Uh, and even if he, even when I was younger and he had to give me like a lecture for something he felt, you know, he needed to be stern about. He's a man of a few words. So he says what he needs to say and he does what he needs to do. And he kind of, you know, gets out of the, gets out of the way after that, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not the guy you go to if you're, you know, crying or, He's not an emotional fella. That's that's not his thing. Uh, but he he fixes things. He's he's a solutions kind of guy. He's gonna assess the situation and and anything you need, he's gonna he's gonna provide. He's gonna come through. He's gonna show up. That's that's my dad. <laughs> so. Yeah, very kind of you know the military on top of being male. This kind of emotional. <laughs> Uh, maybe a little bit of a desert. There's emotions in there, but <laughs> maybe not coming out of the mouth. But yeah, that reliable fixing kind of type. Um, so yeah, that's your dad. Tell us about your mom. My mom, she's everything. <laughs> she's everything. She is, uh, she's an Aries. So she's commanding. She's a warrior. She's, that's probably where most definitely where I get it from. Um, the fierceness the bravery, the, you know, she, she's just beautiful. She, the, 
the things that she's endured in life and the fact that she still has so much fight and such a champion. It's just, I admire her so much. <laughs> and I know that I get all of my strength, all of my passion, all of my ability to take a licking and keep on ticking. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from her. She's my number one fan, my biggest supporter. She was my first cheerleader, you know, while I was in the womb, she was already cheering, you know. So um, I can say that uh, she she did deal with mental health issues, I would say, most of her life. Um, there's a stigma um, in our community where um, therapy and uh, receiving help for your mental health issues or even identifying your symptoms with mental health issues. Uh, it just doesn't happen. People don't feel comfortable or they aren't able to be vulnerable enough to seek help for those kind of things. Um, so I feel like my mother, she was, uh, first of all, adopted um, very early on in life. And before she was adopted, she just endures so much, you know, her own hurts, her own pains, her own traumas, even before I came into the picture, you know, before my father came into the picture. Um, so for most of my childhood, she was dealing with mental health issues. And there were many things that occurred that I just, as a child, could not understand, you know, um, many things that just didn't make sense, um, and many things that I kind of blamed myself for because there wasn't really an answer or an explanation. Mm -hmm. So my mother tried to commit suicide. Uh, the first time I remember, I believe I was about eight or nine years old. Um, I was just accepted into the gifted and talented program in my elementary school. And they provided this program called University for Young People, which allowed us to go over to Baylor University and take classes in the summer. Now, we got to take about three or four classes. They provided a trolley to pick us up from home, take us over to Baylor. They fed us breakfast and lunch. They provided us with a college counselor. Um, who guided us around the campus, made sure we got to classes on time, made sure we got to the trolley to get home on time, and just gave us whatever knowledge they had, you know, whatever wisdom they'd acquired from being a college student while we were still in elementary school. So it was, it was very fun. Um, I think I was like right in the middle of the program, so I'm having the time of my life, and in this summer program, I'm learning all this crazy stuff, chess, uh, mixing and mastering music. You know, there were foreign languages, French, Spanish. I think I took archery. Like, <laughs> I learned to shoot a bow and arrow. Like, <laughs> I re I'm remembering this part of your story and how, like, delightfully nerdy you are on yes, the inside. So. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. You're like, all the learning. Yes, I want yes. it all. The Harry Potter loving, <laughs> all that. Like, that's... That's right up my alley. I love libraries, books. I love, st I, I have a library card. I still go check out books, tons mm -hmm. of them. 
And then my mind is so bad now because I'm older and I end up like with a ton of fries. <laughs> Yes, you owe the library $3,000. Seriously, though, like just last week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, yes, I'm such a nerd. I still am. I was then. Um, I love it. And my daughter, actually, she's she got, she has all of that. She's been gifted and talented right now. So she has her library card, and she also has $3,000 in fines. <laughs> Guys are going to be real expensive. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm broke because the library has all of my money, okay? <laughs> we need to talk to someone about getting those fines taken away. Absolutely. Like. We, we will write a letter. We'll have a letter yes. writing campaign after <laughs> that. Talk episode. to somebody about That's that. right. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so I was, you know, basically like in this crazy comfort zone um, in this summer program because before then, uh, summer was kind of just like going home and, you know, being with my mom, which is not a problem, but, you know, she, she wasn't very uh, intellectual. She was fun and physical, and she, she liked to play a lot, and she was, like, always sneak attacking me while I was trying to read my book, want to come knock me off the bed or something, and I felt like she was, you know, distracting mm-hmm. mostly. <laughs> but, you know, her version of fun was, you know, physical play and, you know, touching and you know, <laughs> tickling and things of that nature. And I just, you know, I just kind of wanted to read my book or, you know. You, you wanted to make get a head on homework, yeah. you know. I, you know, kind of wanted to plan what I want to do next in this academic year or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm such a nerd, I know. But that was kind of my thing. So when this camp came along, man, I was, I was stoked. I was super excited. Um, but I came home one day from the camp, like, Super, like, on my high, because every day I was, like, so excited, like, up before I'm supposed to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and just kind of sad to have to even go home, like. (laughs) So, but I come home, and um, my mom had taken um, a bottle of Benadryl, and so she was, she was laying on the floor, and she was unconscious, and uh, I just remember calling my grandmother and telling her, like, Mom, is she's on the floor and she's not answering. She won't wake up. Um, there's this big medicine bottle next to her, and it's, like, almost empty. And she's like, well, baby, you know, um, I'm on my way. Um, go in the room across the door, and I'll be there in a minute. And I, I, re- I just remember um, going into that room, and I, I it feels like as soon as I closed the door, my Mima was there. Like, it's, like she just... Like a Harry Potter just apparated out of thin air or something. Like <laughs> I feel like I put out a distress signal and she just boom, just fairy godmother showed up. Only she was fairy grandmother. Fairy grandmother. <laughs> yeah, like she just came out of thin air almost, it feels. And and in reality, I mean I was a kid and she didn't stay very far away from us, but I mean she had to floored it. <laughs> no matter how far she stayed because I swear it feels like I closed the door and she was there. But And shortly after the ambulances arrived and, you know, my mother was taken to the hospital um, and then she was hospitalized at DePaul. Yeah, that's the yeah. hospital in town. And she was there for a while, um, I want to say a few weeks even. Um, so I stayed with my grandmother, which kind of became, I want to say a theme, but... Off and on, I did live with her, and um, my Mima, 
very like very much like my mother. She's super strong. Um, she's a Capricorn, so she's very authoritative too. She's the kind of energy that's just super warm and loving. Everyone in the neighborhood could eat from her kitchen. Mm, I want to meet your grandma. Yeah, everyone in the neighborhood could, you know, get corrected by her. She was a disciplinary, you know. She expected you to stand straight and tall and speak with respect, and she had the greatest hospitality. Like, she was, like, often the chairman of the hospitality board at our church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she cooked the meals for the programs and she greeted the people. And uh, living with my grandmother, um, I grew up in that world too, Southern Christian Baptist Church and uh, the hospitality and just, you know, very involved in all that she was involved in, the politics back then and the religion, all of it. All, all things that are stern and in order. You a little know, rigid the, Yeah, a little rigid. Uh, but also very warm loving. and loving. It came, came from a place of love. And her, I feel like from her perspective, the way that she could best love us was to keep us in line. Yes. To keep us on the straight and narrow. To give us a firm foundation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think she... Having gone through what she went through in her life, um, I think she has so much wisdom to offer us and so much guidance. Um, she just, she's if you would if you would think um, like stern fist, but in a velvet glove. Mm-hmm. If you would like, yeah. that would be my grandmother, my mima. She's just a sweetie pie. <laughs> My mother calls her a honey bun. (laughs) bun. I mean, two really strong women in your life um, and also kind of navigating mental illness and, you know, how that impacted you as a child. Uh, I would imagine that was a very scary experience that day. It was it was very scary for me. My my mima, of course, like I said, she showed up lightning fast and first thing she did when she got there was wrap me up in a hug you know Mm -hmm. one of those hugs that like only a grandmother can give you like everything is okay I'm here it's fine we'll get through this we'll take care of it you know um and and every night I got to sleep next to her and just almost like in that embrace each night I was there like so uh the situation was definitely um it was scary confusing I didn't understand it um, I think one of the things about my Mima um, and older individuals, the elders, if you will, is they were raised to believe that sheltering you or kind of trying to stand between you and pain or you and the reality of the situation uh, is them protecting you, um, trying to keep you from having to experience this or understand it. Um, is their way of trying to love and protect you. But in reality, they deny you like an explanation. They deny you uh, the ability to understand the situation. You may be a kid, but you have logic and reason, and you want that. (laughs) Yes, and, you know, children developmentally go through this period of time of magical thinking where anything that happens around them, they attribute to themselves. And so it's like, you know, my mother's pain is my fault. 
And, you know, as we grow up and we become adults, we have our own children. We realize that, you know, my pain is my pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have a daughter. I have my three daughters. And so I'm constantly trying to explain in ways that that are not too too intense for them kind of what is going on in our world so that they and in our world being our little home together Mm -hmm. in our lives Mm -hmm. um, so that they don't have that that experience of not understanding and therefore maybe blaming themselves. Yes, because I definitely feel like that's the road I took in a situation only because, um, and again, my mother, she is no villain in this, in this story. She's 100% my hero. Um, but I think with her not having access to, um, healthy ways to heal what she was going through, her trauma, her pain, her hurts. Uh, she did the best she could. So there was times where I would actually see her physically in pain. I would see her tears. I would see her depressed. I would see her, you know, kind of falling and crumbling a little bit. And uh, as a parent, those were things she would try to hide from me. She didn't want me to see uh, she didn't want me to, I, I guess I would assume, think less of her. Um, but when I would see them and there was no explanation for them, uh, like you said, oh, it must be me. You know, she's stressed out. There's a lot going on in her life. And then there's me adding to this stress as a her child, her responsibility, her dependent. And then, you know, my childhood things you know that we go through puberty and you know oh I want a boyfriend or oh you know I I don't want to go to bed at this time or whatever so there came almost this energy of wanting to make her happy please her you know not be a burden to her walk Mm -hmm. lightly if you will Yes, minimize the impact of you. Yes, in in her situation, in her world, even though um, the reality of the situation is I may not even have been what the burden was or the prop uh, definitely was not me, you know. Yes, yeah, the normal stressors of having a child are enough to make most people lose it from time to time, but you're struggling with mental illness on top of that. Yeah, right. you you were not the problem, but kind of felt that you needed to lighten her load. If I could, and as a child, like that's not your responsibility. That's not your place. Right. That's in taking on that energy matures you very fast. Yeah. Um, and it kind of switches the roles in the parent-child relationship, um, where you kind of feel your parenting parent yeah emotional caretaking yes 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 um and my mother again a wonderful mother cooked three times a day at mm-hmm. home cooked meals she did all the laundry she's a happy homemaker mm-hmm. you know what I mean even as a grandmother she's a happy <laughs> fort maker if you will like yes. <laughs> but um so I don't negate any any of the things that she did do or the things that she the home she provided for me or the love mm-hmm. I definitely was forced to feel even when I didn't mm-hmm. want it <laughs> the tickles and the and I remember one time I was 
probably getting ready to go to middle school. And my mom, she just broke down crying. She said, my baby's getting older, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, mom, get it together. Oh, my gosh, you know. And now I'm looking at my daughter who's about to hit 10. I'm like, oh, my God, my baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. I make my 8-year-old receive thousands yeah. of kisses on her <laughs> cheek. She's time. like, mom. I'm like, let me just lick this real quick. <laughs> Like, don't grow up. So yeah. you understand that mother, when you become a mother, right, you right. get that love. Exactly. And, you know, as a as a daughter, too, and, you know, I resonate with this. When you're talking about your mom, like with my own mother, and we were immigrants to this country and had no support system, and she was trying to parent three three children by herself. My dad would work till 9 o'clock at night. He was doing, um, he was a surgeon, and just the stress of that, I think I played a very similar role with her, but I talk about my mom as one of the great love stories of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I see that when you talk about your mother, there is this passionate love for this woman, and it's complicated. Yeah. And with me, with my daughters, and my own trauma over the last few years, I remind myself of that, like... I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up big time. I'm struggling with my own mental health. And I'm going to do better because I know better now um, than maybe what my my mom knew. But I, they're not going to stop loving us because there's that deep, deep passion. And I just hear that when you talk about your mom. Yeah, she's my everything, man. I love her to death and, and vice versa. Like I said, there's mm-hmm. not a time where I've needed anything and she wasn't you know, coming through or, you know, making it happen. I'm a true magician, really. (laughs) My mother, um, my parents divorced when I was probably four or five years old. And um, like I said, my dad, he's not very emotional or, you know, those kind of things. He's not the guy you call and just like, dad, you know, I had a, a hard day. And, you know, can you just, can I talk to you about such and such, such and such? He's more of, meat and potatoes like what's the problem let me fix it and let's move on kind of energy um so and I appreciate that too because it and then and I won't lie it took me a while to for both of them if you will Mm. from childhood to adulthood uh, and like you said becoming a parent it changed my perspective it renewed it if you will and I was able to see things if you will from their point of view a little bit better um, as a parent than as a child because I did have issues at some time with him not being so emotional and not being able to call when I have a bad day and receive the same kind of energy I would get from my mom if I called her. I had to come to understand that um, the book, The Five Love Languages, Mm -hmm. my father's love language is different from my mother's love. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, even words of affirmation because he'll say what needs to be said, you know, uh, and he'll do it too. But he's just his, you know, you don't go cry on his lap. He's he's not probably not going to rub your shoulder and, you know, pat you and all those kind of things. The crying is probably going to freak him out a little yes. bit. He's And he's just going to want to heighten his desire to fix it, fix it, fix it. You know what I mean? That's his love language. So I, in adulthood more can appreciate that and understand that that's just how he loves. Yeah. And, you know, I think about this with healing our childhood wounds um, from our parents. 
you know, there's this need to both recognize the harm and the pain that it caused us, but then to shift into eventually compassion Mm -hmm. and understanding and empathy in order to really heal from those things. And you realize your parents are just humans. They're just people and they were still growing up just like you and I are still growing up with our kids. My mother was 23 when she had me. I was 23 when I had my daughter actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And my father, I think is just a year older than my mother. And he also was adopted. And what interesting thing about his adoption, he was adopted into a single father home. So there was no maternal energy there. Where I got all of this love and emotion, affection, that practically tackled me down. (laughs) It was absent for him. Mm -hmm. My grandfather, um, much like my grandmother, stern, rigid, you know, um, I won't say secretive, but they they have the energy of keeping things in the home, Mm -hmm. you know, presenting a certain way to the public. And, you know, if there's pain or trauma, we keep it here. You know, you don't go telling your business, quote unquote, to outside people. Um, So my grandfather, he had that, my paternal grandfather, he had that same energy. um, And he was just uh, very much a stickler. I feel like much like my grandmother, for um, presenting a successful face or a successful foot, you know, keeping up with the Joneses even um, a tad bit. So my grandfather was so stern. My dad, any kind of little troubles he got into, he received, it almost seemed like the ultimate discipline, you know. And by the time he hit 17, uh, my grandpa, he, he stole a, my grandfather's car to go to a party or something like that and my grandfather was so upset um, by the act and the company he was keeping he told him he was going to the army Mm. so my father ended up in a three decade career in the army (laughs) as a punishment it was started off as a punishment uh, but he built a career out of it Um, so I guess changed the trajectory transformed it Um, but I won't I won't act like there wasn't a strained relationship there between the two of them. There were times that I've come to understand my father would be stationed somewhere and hadn't talked to his father in years. Didn't even know where he was stationed or, you know, what he was doing, what was going on in his life. You know, they they had a strained relationship, you know. So as I got older and understood his relationship with his father, the fact that he didn't have a maternal figure in the home, how could he give me what that he never love, received. yes, that energy that he didn't have in his home that he didn't grow up with. And then he was tossed into the army. Where, where do they love and affect? Where is that in the army? Where are the hugs? Where, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they definitely get things done, which he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They definitely will provide you with the necessary tools to get things done, which he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but they're not handing out hugs. They're in, I don't know what the therapy situation is like in the Army, but by looking at the situation that most of our vets come home with, I can assume it's not a high priority or uh, if it is, it's not very effective, it seems. Yeah, so. well, you know, you can't, when the brain is in fight or flight, which 
you know, this is military, it's war. It it is so difficult to establish mental health. And, you know, probably similarly for your mom in different ways from trauma, the brain can kind of stay in that space. Um, And a lot of times we just recapitulate the same sort of dynamics unless you start to grow, change, or heal. Um, And you have such a depth of understanding of your parents and kind of the lives that impacted them, which (laughs) impacted your lives, your life. Um, Can you tell us about kind of the impact on you from from growing up with your experience? Um, I think, like I said, in childhood, uh, having such a strong, silent father figure, it almost made me feel a little bit unloved if you will, only because he was so silent, uh, but very strong and such a provider. And I I know I keep reiterating that because I love them both so much. And I feel like uh, in this conversation, I'm highlighting so much of the hurt and the pain. And, you know, they're wonderful. They're my heroes, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, I just want to put that out there. Um, And the reason we're having this conversation is because I got – so fortunate to have had that shift of perspective and understanding. Um, but in childhood, I definitely felt a little unloved by the silence and the just so much strength and not so much of the warmth and affection that I felt I received from my mother. Um, but also, if I'm honest, I feel I feel like they were both very dominant extremes because my mother was so passionate and so um, her her mental health caused her to have such high highs mm-hmm. um, and low lows, but there wasn't a lot of structure, a lot of direction, a lot of guidance. She was my biggest supporter, um, but I feel like that caused me to have a lot of independence. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of things into the reins myself. Um, but there wasn't a lot of here, baby, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. This is how you do this. This is how you do that type energy. Um, and her love again was more, uh, because I love you, I'm going to do these things for you. So I'll cook, I'll clean, I'll do all of these things. Not so much come here and I'm going to make sure you do this. I'm going to make sure there's a strict schedule of you washing the dishes there's a strict schedule of you keeping this clean because now in my adulthood, I'm like, man, I could have used, some, used <laughs> some of that daddy military stuff because, man, I'm a procrastinator. Oh, Krista, I relate. Uh, you know, I, you know, I kind of go with my feelings and uh, my mother's energy a lot. You know, I kind of go with my feelings in my day to day. You just, you know, oh, if I feel like doing this, if I, you know, don't, there's not a lot of. 10, 30, 11, 30, 12, 30 kind of energy. And if I do, I may put two things that I definitely have to do on schedule and the rest is still kind of up in the air. Mm -hmm. Why about to see them a pan? Yes. (laughs) Which is stressful, (laughs) to say the least. It allows my intuition to, to, to my gut to come into a lot of situations. So, uh, (laughs) like my parents, they just, opposites attract, I guess you could say, because, they seem so different from from each other, um, but each one of them kind of gave me something a little bit different that I could 
kind of used while I was growing up. But and like I said, I had my issues or my problems with each one in childhood because I was perceiving things from a child's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so with my mother, it was just the issue of like there were there was more than one suicide attempt, and then each time there there was kind of a pattern. I would go live with my grandmother, um, and she would want to kind of just move forward and not explain what was going on or, you know, there was just always this idea that it was me causing this thing. And then not only have I caused it now, I have to be removed from my home and live over here with my Mima, who I love to death, but she's not my mom. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I want to be. You want our mom. Yeah, I want, I want my mom. And so there's just, a dynamic of kind of blaming myself for most all of her troubles, probably because I feel like they all stemmed in that suicide issue there. Um, so now understanding that and dealing with my daughter, I try, like you said, to sit down and explain things to her as best I feel her maturity level will allow. Now she's 10, but her maturity level is quite high. For a, a you know a ten year old and not to pat myself on the back, but <laughs> I'm sure she takes after her mom. I'm sure. I, I feel like like you said uh, because I've had these traumatic or painful experiences and, and even the great ones that I've experienced with my parents, um, I'm able to pull from these things and try to um, use them to benefit in, in my parenting. Yes, so it's, it's not traditional. I don't parent like my grandmother, you know. It's just, there's not a whole lot of, you know, sh- structure or, or firmness or because my grandma, she didn't play around now, okay. Mm. <laughs> yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please, thank you. And my daughter, she does those things, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to punish you if you don't, you know, because she does it more than she doesn't, you know. So I encourage what she does and, you know. If she lacks out, you know, encourage her a little more, you know. I feel like our parenting styles are so similar. And, <laughs> and you know, the way that you understand and speak about your childhood is so clear that you have done your own healing work. Mm-hmm. And I always feel a little bit bad for my three girls because they have this psychologist for our mom. So I'm like, we're going to talk about her feelings and <laughs> we're going to just emote. And they're like, mom, mom, stop. But I have these conversations. It's so many conversations mm-hmm. about you're feeling this and this is why. And I'm feeling this and because I want to teach right. them very similarly, I think, to how you are. You know, I may not know how to do a regimented schedule. Can't teach that. But I know the inner world of intuition and feelings and trauma. And so like parenting through that lens, it isn't traditional, um, but maybe it needs to be the new tradition for this current generation. Right. And and as far as the schedule, I mean, we I what I do, um, I give her schedule as I do mine. So your morning schedule, there's not a time frame, but there are goals. When you wake up in the morning, um, brush our teeth, wash our face, tidy the room, make the bed, you know, have breakfast. You know, uh, if you didn't shower the night before, take your shower this morning, put some clean clothes on. Those are things that I expect to have done in the morning. Now, morning is from the time you wake up till we hit noon. (laughs) Get it done before noon. You know, like I'm, I'm not strict on when it's done. Just get it done and then, you know, do it 
in a presentable manner the first time or I'm going to ask you to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're going to waste time that you can't have fun doing this thing over again. So that's how I try to, because a rigid schedule just, it doesn't work for me. So I'm, I'm not going to try to force it on my daughter. I know for sure, you know, she would probably struggle. She's a Sagittarius. <laughs> Energy's everywhere, you know. Uh, and she's so, she's already, you know, like a little wise one herself. Mm. I, I feel so blessed because I feel like I got this energy where she teaches me, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to teach so much. I just kind of make sure she stays in her lane kind of energy. Mm. Like, I just kind of get to make sure she doesn't harm herself. That's pretty mm. much, I feel, my job at this point Absolutely. because she has personality now she has logic and reason she understands she started a nonprofit organization oh i remember this <laughs> i love this uh last year on her birthday we were at the mall and we were leaving and there was a lady who was sitting out on on the uh, sidewalk and my daughter had a little crown on that said happy birthday and the lady said it's your birthday sugar uh how old are you turning my daughter's like oh i'm turning nine and she pulls out some money and she's like, it's $20. And I'm like, no, ma'am, we absolutely cannot accept that, please. Uh, but thank you for the birthday wishes. And she's like, no, no, I insist. Someone just gave me $100 and I want to give your baby $20 for her birthday. Uh, so I let my daughter take the $20 because she insisted. And uh, a couple of weeks later, we were at home and she's like, mom, I feel like we need to do something nice. Like the lady who gave me the $20, even though she was, you know, homeless. And I was like, well, that's a nice thought. What do you think you would like to do nice for someone else? She was like, well, maybe we can feed the homeless. And I was like, well, that's nice. And in my mind, because I'm the parent, I'm like, oh, my God, where are we going to get money to feed people? Mm -hmm. But she's like, well, I I tell her, I said, well, that's nice. What, What do you think we can feed them? And she was like, well, what about pizza? I love pizza. And I was like, okay, we, we can work with pizza, pizza. And I start thinking, you know, Little Caesars, and they have the $5 pizzas. We can we can get pizza. Uh, then I tell my friends and family on Facebook about Jada's idea. She wants to feed the homeless. And uh, one of her aunts is like, yeah, call it Pizza My Heart. So we got the idea from Aunt Stephanie. Shout out to Aunt Stephanie. We hey, love Aunt you. Stephanie. <laughs> uh, and so friends and uh, family, they just started giving so many donations. I think she gathered $140, maybe $150. And so we got maybe, um, I think we started with like seven pizzas. And then we went and got apples and oranges and cases of water um, and like brown paper bags to put the fruit and stuff in. And we went over and we maybe served 30, 40 people over at the Meyer Center. We sat up at, in the little parking lot across the street, uh, Watkins Furniture parking lot. It's an abandoned building. But we sat up over there and uh, she served the people. And it's so, f- it's, it's so funny because uh, my daughter's nine. She was turning nine, actually. So an eight-year-old turning nine on that very day. Uh, she had the heart to want to pay it forward, right? Um, So I took some photos, and I um, talked to the news station. Julie Hayes picked up the story and ran it uh, on the Tell Me Something Good segment for the news, and the donations started pouring in. Then uh, businesses, uh, people from 
different states. I mean, a, a little old lady called and uh, she wanted to donate and I was trying to tell her cash after PayPal <laughs> and she had no idea. So I went and got like a little P.O. box and she sent a little check in the mail. In the mail. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> um, but yeah, then Pizza Hut called the marketing director. He's like, I saw the story about Pizza My Heart. He's like, we'll donate the pizzas. There's no need for you to spend any money on that. Um, so Pizza Hut started donating the pizzas for Pizza My Heart. So we were then able to take the money we were receiving um, to get toiletry backpacks. So we bought backpacks and um, travel-sized toiletries and filled them up, you know, lotions, soaps, shampoos, toothpaste, razors, Band-Aids, Neosporin, I mean, whatever you could think a person might need. Uh, we stuffed it in a backpack. Someone had even donated, like, daily rations. Mm -hmm. We stuffed those in a backpack, like, whatever we could think someone might need. Hand sanitizers, all that. Um, so the next piece of my heart was even bigger than the last. And Julie Hayes herself, after she ran the segment, she donated $150, and she's like, your next one is on me. So she took care of the next piece of my heart. So we've done three so far. The next one will be in October. Um, but this is just to speak to my daughter's heart, like yes. her, how her mind is already perceiving things, how she takes in uh, someone less fortunate, giving her something for her birthday, and now she's 30, 40 people are being fed each time she goes out. So she's paying it forward in numbers. And this wasn't my idea. You know, in fact, when she brought it to me, I started crunching numbers on how we're going to make it happen, right? Because like, it's mm. such an adult thing, right? Yeah. It's like such a reality thing. And she has the dreams and she has, the, you know, like just the heart, right? And I'm just able to facilitate that. So like I said, I, I feel like I just keep her like in her lane because she's already, mm. she's already got the, the uh, steering wheel and she's already a great driver like yeah and I'm, you know, I'm blessed I feel and she learned from the best <laughs> and I, I have a sense you're gonna reject my compliments here and I'm not meaning to to you know build up your ego because you don't really have one to speak of you know I think you're maybe learning to view yourself more accurately in this life but when you told me initially about your daughter um, I was blown away and I was like, this mom is uh, building this beautiful child so much in your own image in a way, not on purpose, but you're modeling for her. Um, and I just picture this mini version of you. And I'm sure <laughs> that there are things that are different between the two of you. But I, I feel like there's this choice point in our lives. Um, and I don't know that it's conscious or not for people. Um, but where we decide to take the pain that has happened to us and turn it into something beautiful. Um, and, you know, you and I talked about this wounded healer archetype. Yes. Um, and, and for some people, the pain is too great or the trauma is too great. They don't have the resources. And, and maybe we see that in our own parents towards us. It's not this um, lack of being good or lack of, um, loving us yes, in the yes. ways that they knew, but, you know, and I'm going to quote Dr. Maya Angelou probably every podcast because <laughs> I'm obsessed, but you know, she has this quote, um, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Yeah. And, 
you know, for so many of us, our parents just did the best that they could. Absolutely. And if they had known better or had, you know, a mother figure or whatever that was, they might have done better. Um, but for you, kind of, it seems as though you have healed so much. And, and from that and from your awareness, channeled that into how you are with your daughter and, and in your own life. I, I try so hard. I, I, if I'm very honest with you, when I found out that I was uh, pregnant, I was terrified. I, I was terrified. I, now, don't get me wrong. I did have excitement that the idea of a, a little baby growing inside of me, I find um, life bearing to be a miracle, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be able to, because so many women, um, they have to experience the pain and trauma of miscarriage and things of that nature. So to me, to actually get the life here, alive, healthy, a miracle, you know. Sacred. The things your body has to go through to get that life here. The things it has to go through to just grow that life within you and then get it here and, and keep you here to raise it. Like, that is a miracle to me. Just in life-bearing women, just the most gorgeous beings on walk the planet to me. Just beautiful um, just <laughs> the aura the glow the energy is just amazing to me so uh but when I found out that I was uh gonna have a a child I got terrified because um the the pain the hurt the trauma it was all so present it was also uh a huge chip on my shoulder if you will um I growing up um in the middle of that hurt and pain made me very angry, like not having answers, not understanding, um, a, a lot of decisions being made without my opinion or consideration because the elders and higher-ups, they don't consider children opinion as much as their own or the adults. There's For some reason, children, I guess we're felt to, or I say I'm we, like I'm connecting with the child in me, I guess. Absolutely. But for some reason... Children, they when I was growing up, weren't held in the same consideration. Mm-hmm. It's, it was almost like we were subordinate or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, and uh, and my mother often, she's like I said, very aggressive. Even as a grandparent, she we came to a situation where before we understood that my daughter couldn't be vaccinated, um, she was well if. You know, Jada's going back to school. She needs to be vaccinated. That's how I feel. And, I, well, Jada's scared of the vaccination. She said she doesn't want it. So I don't think that's something that we're going to we're gonna do. She doesn't, mm-hmm. she's scared. She doesn't want to do it. Well, when the kids get to decide, you know, these kind of things is what she asked me. I said, well, when we decided we were going to be jamming things into their bodies. Yeah. That's invasive. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's her body. She has a right if you ask me, you know, mm-hmm. to say I'm scared, I don't want that thing. Mm-hmm. And for me to consider that. To honor her <laughs> voice. Yes, to honor that. To not say, well, I'm the parent, you're just going to do what I want you to do. Because mm-hmm. actually, as her parent, I want what she wants. I want her to be healthy, comfortable, feel safe, mm-hmm. secure. You know what I mean? I want her to voice how she really feels to me. Absolutely. So I can protect that. <laughs> yeah. you know, so I, I can bring it into fruition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... It's funny because in loving my child, sometimes I feel it means I have to stand up to my hero. Yes. <laughs> I, I literally have to stand toe-to-toe with the one who gave birth to me, and that can be frightening. 
Yeah. You know, and especially <laughs> coming from a background where my mother has tried to commit suicide several times. Mm. So standing up to her, can this trigger her? Right. You have to break that childlike inside right. of you that I can't be a burden or, you know, right. put pressure here. Exactly. And this, that's brave. It's yeah, brave even as exactly. an adult. Exactly. Like, will this make her want to return to past actions or past behaviors? Or And my daughter's, this is a decade now. Like, she's about to be 10 years old. So getting my footing in this has been very interesting. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a it's it's been a journey for me, if you will, coming into adulthood because I came to this space where um now I feel as a child you could tell me my opinion didn't matter or it was subordinate or it was second to yours, but now as an adult, you have to see me as an adult. Mm-hmm. You will. You you have to, you must. There's I'm not going to accept anything less. Okay? It's very important to me because I feel I didn't have that voice as a child. Absolutely. So now as an adult, you I will be heard. <laughs> Period. <laughs> there's the there's there is no when the image of like drawing the line in the sand is how I feel about it. Like that this is a line where you won't cross it. I'm an adult, I will be treated like one, I will be heard, I will be seen, and I will be respected. And so will my child. <laughs> Because she stands behind me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and, and with all due respect, because she's still my mother, she's still my hero, I still love her to death. But at this point, like, you, you've done an incredible job of raising me. Mm-hmm. I am so grateful. Uh, even even now, I, from a perspective that I stand now, I can be grateful for the hurt, pain, and th- some of the disappointments and things of that nature because having gone through them, I know how to navigate with my child. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, you know, guys, you're not seeing me freaking out over here. I'm all up in my body (laughs) as Krista's talking. And, you know, we heal each other with our stories. And hearing you talk about setting these boundaries with your mom, you know, what love actually looks like is high love, high boundaries. And that's what children need. They need that structure and and a lot of love and you know you you have these boundaries for your daughter and you have a lot of love and you know you are in a way teaching your own mom how to have these things that she didn't know it's like I love you and also I'm gonna have this voice Mm -hmm. and this can coexist in this space and you know I I see you healing intergenerational trauma like in your lifetime and you talk about your community, the black community with mental illness and mental health. Um, you know, when we study multicultural therapy and theory, it, it is this, a huge stigma. Mm-hmm. And we don't, um, the black community historically has not spoken about their pain and struggles. Um, and for many reasons. And so for you, even today coming on the show is, is a big deal for your healing, um, and for everyone's healing, for my healing, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm learning how to have boundaries with my mom. I'm only 40 next year. Um, but Krista is inspiring me in many ways. But what is it like, you know, there was some fear probably leading up to coming in and, and, and doing this thing that is brand new um, for maybe your family system, but also you know, new in in the community as well to speak of 
the traumas and to speak of what you've learned. Um, what, what is it like for you to now have your voice? Um, it's, it's an interesting feeling because a lot of the times I find that um, my feeling good causes quite a few people around me to feel uncomfortable. Um, and so it, it, it makes me feel sometimes like perhaps I'm an antagonizer or, you know, and if I'm very honest, now that I've gotten into the rhythm of things, it doesn't really bother me any much, you, you know, too much anymore. I'm kind of okay with disrupting the norm or the status quo or whatever the case may be. Um, and I've, 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 I was, if you will believe this, up until I was about five years old, I was rather shy. I didn't speak much to people I didn't know. Uh, and most of my talents I kept to myself. Like, I was a little brainiac nerd, but, like, in my room and stuff, you know. Not very social. Um, I'm like, how social can a five-year-old be, though? So. <laughs> but my grandmother, my mima, she put me in a performing arts group called Portraits, Inc., um, and there was a lady, Miss Beverly. She she started the group. Hi, Pearl. Yes, Miss Beverly. You. We love you so much. Oh my gosh! Shout out to Miss Beverly. Um, she started portraits, and uh, every Wednesday night we would go over again over to Baylor. Shout out to Baylor, man. <laughs> so a lot of fond memories at that college campus, despite whatever it said about it. I have very fond memories. You had a very, really good very, experience. Very fond memories there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would go over to Baylor on Wednesday evenings, and uh, Portraits, Portraits Inc. would get together. Um, and Miss Beverly would do this thing where everyone would have to introduce themselves. Um, so I would go, my name is Krista, and I am somebody. Oh. And that's how she would have us introduce ourselves. We would say our names. And I am somebody. And over the, over the time, of course, people would get creative with their introductions. They might sing and they might dance. But... The gist was for you to speak it and believe it and feel it that you were somebody, you were important, you, your opinion mattered, you had a voice, right? So a lot of that confidence, a lot of a lot of the fierceness, a lot of the ability to express myself uh, with ease and, and comfort, Miss Beverly, portraits mm-hmm. every Wednesday, performing on stage and tapping into my talents and uh, facing my fears, Miss Beverly, she breathed that into me, into everybody at Portraits for years. I, I started when I was five, and I I stayed with that group until I graduated from high school. By the time I graduated, I was the leader of the youth division. Um, they were my babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. So from very early on, thanks to um, my Mima putting me in Portraits, people like Miss Beverly, counselors from the college group of UIP, such strong role models, right? Such Absolutely. such such strong role models and, and people to inspire me, people to breathe into me and allow me to stretch my wings and become who I am, grow, not be stunted or limited or p- put in a box no matter where I came from or how I grew up. They just allowed me this space to, to be me, become who I was and... um I'm able to take that now in my adulthood. When Miss Beverly told me I was somebody and she had me standing every Wednesday, it just resonated on the inside. By the time I graduated from high school, I had a head that was high. I walked with confidence. I could speak on stage. I, I 
can greet people from hospitality with my meemaw and being in church and being on those committees. I'm a people person, actually, because of them. And if it was left up to me, I'd have been a loner in my room, just, you know, a, a little nerd or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they put me out there, and, and they gave me the confidence to stay out there. You know, they gave me the tools to build myself and be successful out there. Uh, and I remember we had so much resistance with my Mima in church. I don't want to be in a choir. I don't want to sing a solo. I don't want to be on the hospitality board. I want to be youth president. I don't want to. I don't want these responsibilities. I don't want. I don't want this stuff. Because again, with my mom, it's just passion, emotion, what we feel. My Mima was no. You're gonna do this. You'll learn this. You'll have this experience. You, you know, she she wanted us to have the creme de la creme of life. You know tad bit of an elitist if you will <laughs> even though we're broken for but you know we want to be you know so th- the image though right so she gave me so much culture if you will she made me well-rounded you know what I mean so those are the kind of things I try to give to my daughter and mm-hmm. you know those are the kind of things that I want her to take from life maybe not so strict and rigid because like I said some of the things she made me do, and I just hated them. <laughs> I, I did them, but I hated them, you know what I mean? Um, and I might have gotten something from it, but not as much as if I were doing the things I already loved. Mm-hmm. Or if I came to her and said, hey, I like this thing. Can I do it instead of this? Well, no, we go to church on these days, so you you know, you, you got to go to church or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like I give my daughter the space <laughs> to decide what she loves, and then I just breathe into that, you know. I'm not going to I'm not going to force you to do all these things that you you have no interest in, but you'll get your discipline and your things another way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I try to – I'm fortunate enough to take from all those experiences. And, and all those mothers, right? Yeah, so many of them. Miss Beverly, your mom, your grandma. Grandmother, and stepmother even. even. She was amazing. Well, and, you know – I think maybe I'm a little older than you, but when I connect with women the way that, that we have connected and in the sharing of stories, there is a mothering that happens to me through hearing your voice. I mean, I've already kind of been a weirdo about your voice, but I'm going <laughs> to listen to this with my eyes closed. <laughs> um, but also like the power and the, you know, we learn from each other and can pour into each other. And so, you know, I'm experiencing that from you very much in this moment, Um, but also seeing the evidence of all of these incredible women, though they be flawed in their own way, having poured that mothering into you to create who you are, which I think is absolutely remarkable and passionate and driven and beautifully hearted humanitarian (laughs) wounded healer all the things women um doing really brave things and so you know I know that you have um broached this ground with with respect and with um a a trepidation only towards pain and hurt and with no desire to perpetrate any pain and hurt and and my experience of hearing you speak today has been so beautiful your love for your parents your love for your mother your love for your daughter is so evident um but yeah this is this is such a healing 
conversation <laughs> for me to just hear you speak about the beauty of all of these women poured into you and that you pour into your daughter. I could have, Krista, I could have you on every week. <laughs> I feel like there are at least 17 other topics. Absolutely. That we need to talk about. And so, hey, stay tuned for more Krista. We're going to have to do a couple more episodes together for sure. Um, but it's been such a pleasure having you. You know, I, I ask at the end of the episodes if there's any kind of message that you want to give to other women or other human beings that um, may be relating to you and your story about kind of the future and finding hope or finding, um, finding joy in the midst of the suffering that we go through. Um. I am writing a book. I'm writing a book. Um, the title of the book is Oh My God, That Happened to You. Mm. Hashtag true stories. Um, and the, uh, I guess you could say the message of the book uh, right after the dedication is, um, well, the dedication actually is of the book is I dedicate this to all who wish to be free. Um, tell your story and it has no more power. Go be free, you know. So if I, if I have any advice, if I have uh, any wisdom to give, it's tell your story, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the hurtful parts, the painful parts, the dirty parts, the shameful parts, the, the parts that you're afraid to tell, go tell them. Um, and you can start with a friend or family or you can start with a therapist um, I was going to say, and I forgot when, when we were talking, so I'm going to squeeze it in real yeah. quick. When I found out I was pregnant, the first thing I did was uh, therapy. I was terrified. Um, I, knew that, I knew that there was the potential for cycles to continue. There was the potential for the hurt and the pain that I experienced to be uh, brought upon my daughter, and I was terrified that that would happen. I knew immediately that I had to become a better person. I had to become less angry, less confused, less, you know, just what I was rooted in, the pain, the hurt, the frustration, the things that I was not talking about, the things that I wasn't sharing with people. How could I heal from them? You know what I mean? Yeah. I had to talk about them. I had to honestly, like, um, own them, accept that they happened, work through the emotions, realize that I wasn't what happened to me, realize that I actually survived all those things and I am a survivor, realize that I'm, I, when I started to think about all the things that I endured and overcame, I realized how strong I actually am, like how I'm, I'm, I'm unbreakable almost, if you ask me, like what, what can't I endure in this lifetime? That's part of what makes me fearless and unapologetic, what I've already accomplished, what I've already not even so much accomplished, but just endured the pain, the frustration, the disappointment. It hurt, but it didn't break me. And it might have hurt for quite some time, years, decades, but it didn't break me. I'm still standing and I can share this story and inspire other people with it. You know what I mean? And, and not just like, oh, this person got something from this. This person got enough to move me to tears. This person got enough to where I'm going to carry their energy for a lifetime now, how I touch them, how they touch me, the exchange of energy. And I'm able to do that because I was brave enough to go and get the therapy, to talk it out, to receive what I need. And when I say get the therapy, I went to several different therapists. The first one wasn't a good match. Second one wasn't a good match. Third one wasn't a good match. I had to find what worked for me. You might have to 
you know, sift around and find what works for you. It might not be traditional therapy. I got onto the road of astrology, spirituality, um, that kind of thing. I moved away from Southern Christian, you know, religious upbringing that I was born into and, and kind of took my own path to where my healing needed to go to each his own. You know, you'll find your own journey. You'll find what lane is for you, but you got to get out there and find it somehow though. Like, and you, you do that by speaking your story, by telling it, by being vulnerable. And when you do that, you get to a space where you can realize how beautiful you are, how strong you are, how much you've overcome, how, how much more you can overcome, how, how much you can do that fear is just an illusion. Once you get on the other side, you look back at it like, <laughs> I was scared of you. Like, what what is what are you? You are nothing. Like, you get more and more confident each time. Then fear becomes this thing where, you know, <laughs> like, I laugh in the face of danger. Like Lion King, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I laugh in the face of danger. You know? Sister speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, seriously, it becomes that kind of energy. Like, bring it on. Like, nothing's been able to break me. So I know this isn't either. You know what I mean? You Like I said, even you stand up to your heroes. Like... <laughs> You just you get to this very comfortable space with yourself, um, but I would be do, doing you a disservice if if I didn't tell you you have to work through the things that are hindering you from being in that space, which is the hurt, the pain, the disappointment, the frustration, the chip that you've been carrying on your shoulder. You know, like, and I know because I I carried one myself for a decade almost, maybe maybe two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so uh, my advice, and I know I kind of went on a tangent there, but. My advice, just, you know, speak, tell your story, to, like lift up that rug and take that crap from under there. Like open up that closet and pull those Clear skeletons out. out. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's where you get your power because you live in fear of people seeing those things. So you build this life trying to hide them and, you know, put up these walls to try to not feel those emotions anymore. And you rob yourself of so much you know what I mean? Um, the joy. Exactly. And the, the aliveness. Exactly. Yeah. And if, if I had any other piece of advice, cry. <laughs> oh, my favorite we, thing. We, talk, we talked about about this before. Crying was such a weird thing in my household. It was like, fix your face before I give you something to really cry about. You know, if you had an emotion they don't feel was time for you to have. I'm just trying to, you know, discipline you. What are you crying for? I'm just trying to such such. what are you crying for, you know, type energy. Um, so it, it made me kind of self-aware or kind of insecure about crying, especially in public. I don't like for I don't like for people to see my tears now. I just cry all the time. Like I think I was crying a little bit now, you know. But um, so it's funny because I do this thing with my daughter, where we, we actually I tell her it's okay to feel. You can cry, you know. But also, you know, tell me what's going on. Let's work through the problem. Let's work through the issue. Um, and I had this stigma too that you know because crying for me in childhood was, oh, I'm hurt. I'm pain. This is, uh, like a terrible feeling. That's not always the case with my daughter. You know, she could be crying from happiness. She could be crying from a, a number of things. So if in the beginning when I saw her tears, I related that to me lacking as a parent or doing something wrong. Like if I'm a good parent, she should always be happy. She should never be crying. She's, you know, but she has emotions. She feels. She's a kid, but she still feels she has emotions. Things bother her. Things make her happy or whatever. And she, she feels in a big way, too, because she doesn't have all of the pressures and stresses of life yet. Like, 
a lot of those things that already kind of trumpled us down as adults, she hasn't experienced them yet. So she feels in a big way. Uh, so I find myself, I would at first, in the pattern of my parents, try to go hide when I cry, go, go to the restroom or something. And finally, I just, you know, I have to sit down with them like, hey, baby, you know, mama is sad. <laughs> Some things happened, and if you see me crying, this is why. It was a hard day, you know, or we have a sick family member, and I'm, I'm concerned about them. So if you see me crying, this is why, you know. And if in this moment you want to play with me or, you know, you expect mama to be very happy, right now I'm sad, so can we play in a, at another time, you know? Can you can you put that pencil in on the, sca- on the, on the calendar mm-hmm. for us to play? Uh, another time because mama just need a moment to be sad okay so even within that as you're saying the tears can be really beautiful and you know and i'm going to say a lot of cliches but in order to heal it you got to feel it Mm -hmm. and i think tears are the rain of the soul and they build up and when they begin to pour out it is a release that needs to happen and when you learn to embrace you know, the lo- the light and the dark, the good and the bad, the suffering and the joy, you get to have the fullness of both. Absolutely. And so when we numb the pain by keeping secrets and not speaking it, we also numb our joy. Exactly. And, you know, Krista, mic drop here <laughs> at the end. I'm like, I, I, why am I on this podcast? <laughs> this is Krista's podcast. Um, but I'm just so grateful for all of who you are. Um, you know, so it's hard to be grateful for our pain until we work through it. Exactly. And I see the ways in which pain has shaped you into this incredible woman who is speaking truths and jettisoning shame. You know, shame and trauma are like conjoined twins in mm-hmm. a way. And when mm-hmm. we heal, we, we remove that shame and then Absolutely. you speak and you speak your truth. And, and then we are all liberated which when you were talking about your book, I'm like, this is the liberation <laughs> right here. Um, so, oh gosh, I'm going to be championing you on this journey and watching your star just shoot up as you are liberating others with who you are in this world. I'm I'm grateful. I'm incredibly grateful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, guys, I mean... If you aren't crying or moved over <laughs> there, then I don't know what will what will move you. But um, yeah, I just I know that we've all been touched by Krista's story today, and so I look forward to more more stories that liberate, more stories that heal, more stories that speak to the pain and the joy, the suffering and the amazement of this lived experience. Um, And the stories of women, the stories that have been kept silent for so long um, in our world and in this country. And so uh, we'll see you next time as we continue to hear our sisters speak. Thanks, Krista, so much. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. It's been a pleasure. And I will definitely come back. (laughs) Wonderful. All right, listeners, we'll have Krista again. And we will see you next time. Bye. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com. <laughs>